0: Welcome to the Living in Alignment podcast. My name is Amy Landry. Through a collage of conversations, here we distill mindful living and timeless wisdom within a modern, everyday context. Thank you for being here. If you had an infinite amount of finances, how would you spend it? Who do you believe should control the monetary system? Maybe it would be better off in the hands of the insightful and enterprising folk, the creatives, the meditators, the motivators, the farsighted, the perceptive, the healers, the givers, and the volunteers. Maybe that is you. Denise Duffield-Thomas is the money mindset mentor for the new wave of entrepreneurs and those who want to change the world. Her books give a fresh and funny roadmap to creating an outrageously successful life and business. Denise helps women create wealth through her mindset courses and practical wisdom on releasing money blocks. She is a lazy introvert, a Hay House author, and an unbusy mother of three exhausting and adorable kids. She owns a rose farm and lives by the beach in sunny Australia. So welcome, Denise. So good to have you.
1: Thank you. Well, I have to say the unbusy part probably isn't as true this
0: week, (laughs) but mostly true. Wild times right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Denise, can we dive in? Uh, I know that a lot of people listening who are familiar with your work would no doubt hear, have heard of your story, Uh, but for those that haven't, would you mind giving us a little bit of an idea as to your background and how, of course, you have arrived here doing this uh, quite unique work?
1: Yeah, you know, I was an Oprah baby, meaning that I grew up watching Oprah after school, like so many, I think people of our generation, right? Um, and so I always had this sense that I wanted to help people and I wanted to serve people. But I didn't really understand that, first of all, that was even a job, and that that was um something that I could do. You know, like I was always the kid at school that people would come to for advice or, to get solutions for their problems and I would as soon as I found out about personal development books I'd encourage my friends to read them uh, as a teenager and so I think back then if I'd known that there was such a thing as a life coach or a business coach or that even coaching or personal growth was a legitimate career I probably would have decided to do that from a very young age but I didn't because I didn't know I could do it so um even though I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what my thing was. And I spent my twenties going in and out of the corporate world and starting my own business, just looking for problems that I could try and help solve. And one of those problems in my early twenties was I was doing internet dating and I was like, everyone sucks at internet dating. I'm going to coach people on how to be a better internet dater. So I wrote a book about it Um, and it was real, it was just called internet dating tips for men. And so that was really, that, that is me in a nutshell, right? I'm like, Oh, there's a problem. How can I find a solution for people? Um, but for me and my current career, it, it came in the exact same way, right? I was like, Oh, maybe I could just help people be a life coach. And then I realized that the people that I was coaching, Um, I really loved talking to people who wanted to have a business. So I went into business coaching and then when I was doing my business coaching, I realized that everyone had all these blocks and fears about money and I decided to niche again and, and go into that. And that's what I do full time now. And I have for 10 years is I help people with their money mindset, meaning the stories and beliefs and blocks that we have about money, that we're not allowed to have money. All of these collective blocks that we have to unravel together as a society. Who gets to have the money? As you said, who gets to uh, be in control of the money? And traditionally, the people who have been in control of the money in our society have used it in not so nice ways for the planet and for us collectively. And my tagline now for my business is make money, change the world. And that's that's what I help people
0: do. It's interesting because, you know, we can have all the tools and the resources out there to inform us how to intelligently work with money you know and i know that the book the barefoot investor is really popular and and we in our household do love that book and it has been tremendously helpful but in uh, applying these practical steps that doesn't address the underlying ingrained conscious or subconscious mindset that we each individually have and collectively have around uh you know how to receive money and how to spend money very mindfully and consciously. Um, So can you reflect back uh, and consider a book that has really directed you along this path or inspired you or given you clarity with respect to the current trajectory that you're on? Well, the very first personal development book um, that I ever read, I remember it very clearly. I
1: used to go to this secondhand bookshop after school. And I never really had enough money to buy books every time I went, but I would I would you know sit and read them. And so um, I learned to read really fast as a kid, by the way, because of that exact reason. Like my my mom had me at 19, and she'd take me to parties when I was a kid, and so I would look for the bookshelf and I'd open a book, and um, I'd have to read it really fast because I wanted to read the whole book before we left the party. And that's when I started. Um, gravitating towards books like astrology books that were in people's bookshelves and things like that. But this book, it was called The Magic of Believing by Claude M. Bristol. And it was one of those books that's kind of written in, around the time of like how to win friends and influence people and think and grow rich type book. And it was definitely written for men, like a lot of those books are and were. Like all the examples were for men, and it was usually for like salesmen in a way that some of those were written. Um, and so I remember thinking, wow, you can just r- write about things and set goals. And it was just a really big eye-opening experience for me. And I became a, a really prolific goal setter and a journaler after that. So that was really um, key for me. Another book that is not about money but was super key for me and, and the work that I do today is Louise Hayes' book, You Can Heal Your Life. Because... You can't receive anything, anything like long term love, um, abundance, compliments, big and small things without that self love because you're always going to reject it. You're always going to sabotage it in some way. You're not going to think that you're worthy of those things. So, that book um, really informs a lot of the work that I do because people think that they're coming to me for money advice, but they're really not, they're coming to me for self-love and acceptance. I just don't call it that. And I don't sell it like that because people don't think that they need that, but that's what you need um, to work on your money stuff. And then um, another book that really influenced the kind of work that I do. um, I think his name's Thomas Stanley and it's called The Millionaire Next Door. And actually he's got another one called Stop Acting Rich. And that one really redefined for me what wealth is about and it's not about having the biggest shiniest car nothing wrong with that it's about really truly um designing your life with with your values and what's important to you and even though i love talking about money and i love encouraging people to make as much money as they want um it's all about sustainability and about um redefining your version of wealth Whatever that is for you. And for a lot of people, I'm finding increasingly it's about having um, richness in their life around, you know, having their practices and maybe growing their own food or having the choice to live where they want to live. And so that book really was a wake up call for me because I think before then I was on the trajectory of, oh, make more money, like you have to have a fancier life, you know, you have to buy more and more. And it's not about that. It's about creating a life totally in line with your own values. So yeah, they're three books that have really impacted me.
0: It's like, it's flipping the paradigm in a sense around, you know, what it means to be abundant and financially well-off that we can, as you say, design our life and be incredibly intentional. It doesn't mean that we have to flaunt it or have a certain personality if you will and and I know that you mention in your books you give so many examples but you know we look to celebrities and people that win the lotto and how they come into all of this money and they just they don't know what to do with it and it sounds so incredible to be you know to have that kind of level of abundance but if we can't deal with what is actually underneath then it's not going to serve us. And in fact, it can be incredibly detrimental, not only to us, but to our families and to our communities. Uh, I, I know that you are a big reader. Um, so for those listening, Denise and I live very close to one another and I see Denise often. Um, and I feel like you're almost onto a new book every time I see you. So what are you currently reading, whether it's related to work or not? What I'm really loving reading at the moment is celebrity autobiographies.
1: Because again, it's that thing of if you didn't know anyone um, rich growing up, um, you, you're going to have this skewed view of what wealth means. And, um, and so what I I mean, I love Hollywood stuff anyway. I love movies and I love Hollywood gossip. But what I really look for in those books is how they talk about money, because I find it really fascinating. And so I just finished reading Elton John's autobiography. It's called Me. And it's so fascinating because he's, he's really that celebrity archetype with his money too. And he talks about all the things like that he has bought and spent money on. And he keeps on saying, and I don't feel guilty about it at all. He's like, my flower bill is insane. And I don't feel guilty about it. He's like, I love the joy of it. And I love supporting businesses. And he's like, my, my auntie was really down in the dumps one time. So I just caught up my local car dealership and sent her a new car. And <laughs> I just was like, oh my God, it's so funny. But what's the now that the work I do with thousands of people on their money stuff, I realize that sometimes the the numbers might be different, but the behavior behavior might be the same. So someone might look at them and go, "Oh, Elton John, how extravagant!" But then they're always the one picking up their tab for their friends when they go out for coffee, or you know, they're they're overspending on I don't know candles or something like that in their own lives. So yeah that's that's what i'm that well that's what i just finished reading and i just i think it's
0: really fascinating so it's like those behaviors work at every level and totally. in some respects like your example with elton john i just think wow how wonderful to be able to live a life where you can be that generous you know and be able to do those things and improve someone's life so quickly because we can have such you know negative connotation to to wealth and surely money is better earned and spent by, you know, those or in the hands of those that are very mindful and more conscious and more visionary. So what do you think are the most common myths and misconceptions or perhaps resistances, if you will, about financial success and wealth that are holding uh, people, particularly women back? Well, the first one is
1: related to something you just said, right, about um, money itself doesn't cure money blocks that's a really big one because we think that if we had more money we would be a, almost like a different version of ourselves right well that that rich version of me will be you know much kinder or much skinnier or much more whatever than i am and so we almost separate ourselves And make it a barrier between us and the rich version of us, because we feel like either we have to give something up or that person's not really who we are, even separating it even further. So there's something there about giving yourself permission to be rich and however you are at the moment already, like who you fundamentally are, whether that's someone who's very conscious about the environment. Um, And so it's like, oh, I can be rich and Environmentally conscious—it's not a separate thing. Or I can be rich and generous. Or I can be rich and kind. Or rich and down to earth. So that's one of the biggest ones. Right, is that separation. And what's really interesting—I want people to reflect on this—is everyone has their own flavor of what that separation is. Um, For me, it was always about being down to earth. I couldn't be rich and be just a normal person. At some point, I had to become like some. I don't know, fancy version of myself. Like, and I was in my closet the other day, and I was like, oh, I've got like one pair of high heels. You know, Whereas if you asked me 20 years ago what the rich version of Denise would be, it would be like designer handbags and heels or something like that. I would have thought that I had to be change who I am. But other people have got some very serious ones that really stop them from making money. So a really very good example is, um, I can't be rich and be a good mum. And so you can see if you've got that fundamental belief operating in your money system, you are probably going to procrastinate working on your business. You are going to sabotage um, your business. You might, if you're in corporate, you might not go after promotions. You might not ask for more money because you feel like it has to be a pendulum swing. And it it leads to a lot of guilt for women. Um, men tend to not have that one. And actually, there's studies that say that they often make more money after having kids because their companies see them as like more responsible and stable and all that of stuff, which is funny in itself. Um, but another couple of examples that people might have is around love and money. So I, I know quite a few women who are kind of in their 40s, very successful and single. And they've really struggled to find a partner because every time they do, their business goes crappy. And then when their business is doing really well, they seem to really struggle with the dating world. Um, And there could be some true reasons around that, right? There could be men who are intimidated by that. But I think sometimes those beliefs that we have to give up one or the other create some really um, self-sabotaging, self-fulfilling kind of behaviors. So it could be health. So especially if you've had a job or a business that really burnt you out, um, when you start to create success in another field, like your uh, business, for example, doing something that you love, you still might feel like, oh, my God, if I get too successful, I will burn out or I'll have to lose my health or I'll have to give up something. Other people, it could be integrity or feeling like they're going to lose all their friends or um, something else is going to have to be given up for that money. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I see. And, But everyone has to find what their own one is. Because I don't feel like I don't feel it with the mum thing. I don't know if you do, Amy, but I feel it with the like the friendliness, the down to earth thing that for me is always I have to really work at it. Each time I hit a new level of business, I have to like really examine my beliefs around it.
0: Yeah, I I don't feel it with the mum thing either. In fact, being a mum gives me more motivation to be successful for my family and what I the vision that I have for my family. I think it's probably though more uh, feeling, you know, concerned about what other people will think of me you know that external sense of judgment but you know like you and I have known each other I think since I I think approximately I'm going to say 2013 maybe you know and I have to testify to the people listening like knowing you and Mark you guys have obviously your businesses have grown you've been so successful at everything you've done and you know you've you've become parents Uh, but you and Mark are just still the same people and (laughs) it's it's still, but it's still, it's so important, I think, to, as you said, surround yourself with people that are walking and talking examples of true, really incredible success and hardworking success. Uh, And, you know, you guys are not flaunting it in any way, shape or form, and you have a lot of integrity. I know that you, Denise, um, you know, have an interest in even like simplicity and minimalism. And, you know, you guys are very intentional. And I think there is that conscious or subconscious belief that, yeah, we do have to become or we will become someone else or it's icky to kind of be in that level of wealth. And I think that, as you said, again, it's definitely heavier for women.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think when you're saying about the judgment too, that can be a really big one for people thinking, oh, I'm going to leave people behind or my friends won't like me anymore or you know, it's a real feeling of being kicked out of your tribe. Right. You know, I, I grew up in housing commission. A lot of my friends grew up in the same way. And there was times where I was like, oh my God, they're going to think that I'm like this snobby bitch now. Um, instead of just, you know, they're always always like, oh yeah, you're just literally the same person you were in year six. (laughs) But, um, it's, it's a story that I have to work on, you know, and this is the thing too, if people, you don't find the story and then you fix it forever it's literally something that you will continually have to work on. You know, like when we moved to this house, which is, it is a very abundant house in a very visible area. Like I felt that same feeling again of, oh my God, I can't be too, I can't be too visibly successful because people will think that I'm a snobby bitch. And um, yeah, it's, it's one I have to think about all the time, but another story around that too, because we've all got layers and layers of stories is that I was thinking about my kids. I was thinking, oh, my God, are they going to be, you know, resilient and ambitious like I was growing up in an abundant house and having abundance around them? And so I realised I had an extra layer of story around that, around that you have to really struggle to be worthy of success. Like you have to, like, go through something to be resilient. Um not that you can teach them resilience in, in other ways. So I'm coming up with new stuff all the time around my money mindset and I'm definitely a student as well as a teacher of it.
0: Lifelong path as everything is for sure. And I've literally, as you've been speaking, connected some dots here. Tell us, tell us, tell us. Well, I think back to my school, something really painful for me, public declaration here is um, like I was bullied a lot, particularly sort of between the ages of 12 and 14, but also – Uh, from sort of age six to ten I lost a lot of my best friends they either moved away or you know nothing bad happened but I I think that I even as an adult um yeah find that undertone of like worry about my circle and what people will think of me and and will I lose people and and I I suspect that that's just going to be totally driving you know what what goes on for me and I um I, it's, it's interesting because most of us have seemingly positive and well-intentioned beliefs around money that are in fact counterproductive. And, and for example, uh, I believe I will always have enough. And that could be seen as something really positive. You know, on the darkest days, I will always have enough. And we do even if I look at our bank balance and the figures and I go, Oh my goodness. But deep inside, I know like we will always have enough and I always have, and we always will. But then you flip that, that's actually a real upper limit because it's, uh, it's not allowing me to have
1: anything greater.
0: Yeah. yeah, That's right. And that's where I know I'm stuck.
1: You know, there's something there too that I think a lot of people who grew up like seventies, eighties, nineties, because we started seeing on TV, um, like the ads for the overseas charities. What's an example of one of those? You know. Oh yeah.
0: You know, and the forty-day famine and stuff like that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so we started being told, you know, eat eat all your food because there are starving children in the world. And I think that's really set up a belief for a lot of us that we're allowed to have enough, and we have to be really grateful for what we have. But we're not allowed to have more than we need because there's something there about like not finishing all the food on your plate. It's such a, it's such a simple, but very symbolic example of, you know what? I've had enough, but I, I, it's wasteful. It's wasteful to let this go. And I find, I know that you are a very good saver because it's in your money archetype too, but a lot of people I, I know who struggle with savings. I think it comes from that place of feeling guilt about having, more than you need having excess and it feels I don't know it feels inappropriate somehow or it feels greedy or it feels like you're not using that that money does that make sense
0: yeah totally yeah and I I remember growing up with my grandparents that was definitely a thing like you finish the food on your plate you are so lucky which is so true and as I as an adult when I became an Ayurvedic practitioner it's the opposite it says you know the philosophy is do not finish everything on your plate if you don't need it, because it's really detrimental to your digestive system. Whether it goes into your body, it goes in the bin, it's going to end up as waste anyway. You know, obviously there's some nutrition there, but it can actually be a disservice to stuff yourself um, till you're sick. So there's that was how I overcome, overcame that belief. But yeah, it's very conditioned, I think, Um through the generations?
1: I think there could be a whole, we could do a whole episode on food and money because in some cultures, it's considered really rude to finish everything on your plate because it's almost showing your host that you're not being taken care of and that you're still hungry. And so it's a sh- sign of respect to leave just a little bit so you can be like, oh my God, you're so generous. Thank you. I, can't, I literally can't finish everything. And you can imagine that that could set up some interesting beliefs down the track of as well of like I have to hide my true desires and always like show that you know that there is enough even if I feel like there isn't so there could be so like there could be a whole book about
0: cultural practices around food and how it relates to money totally Totally. And how we circulate money is no doubt incredibly important. So what we do with the money that we have, um, could you speak to therefore monetary wealth in our world right now? So to those that, you know, they're listening, whether or not they work in the health and wellness industry directly as I do, um, because I know there's a lot of resistance, particularly in the health industry and and even more specifically within the yoga community um, around, earning money and being paid what you're worth, but then recirculating that. So maybe speaking to the value and the importance of that. Yeah, of course. So what I see in a lot
1: of the spiritual communities and health and wellness communities is a lot of burnt out people um, because um, they've been taught that things, you know, like good health is free, yoga is free, all of those things. And that is, I, I believe that's totally true as well. I think it's a birthright for every single person to be able to access those things and they can and it does not mean that each individual has to burn themselves out in service of that because it's not necessary especially in today's world where we can thank technology for being able to leverage our time and energy so we can be very um, generous and give but we can also make sure that we're not burning ourselves out in service of that so that's that's huge first of all um, the second thing is that I believe that people's time is worth being paid for and I believe that there is enough for, for that to happen, right? So say, for example, you're a yoga teacher um, I think there's or a health and wellness person, there has to be a line of enoughness around your giving, right? And so that could be that you, if you charge well for what you do, you can have excess abundance to be able to give pro bono. Okay, so a really good example of that could be creating a book or some free resources for people or free videos. This is why technology, I'm so grateful for it now. So then if people come to you and say, well, I don't have money to be able to access your stuff, you can be like, well, great. Here's a free ebook I've created. Here's a free video series I've created. And you also can have some paid offerings without feeling guilty that you're not being able to serve those people. Um, for example, writing a book, right, can take up so much energy and time that I really see the importance of charging for what you do so you can free up some energy and time so you can create those resources so then you can help more people. But most people get stuck in the just the free giving, giving, giving. And they're actually putting a cap on how many people that they can serve, ironically, right? Because it's like they're doing it because they feel like they want to serve everybody, but they can't because they literally do not have enough hours in the day to do that. So you buy back some of your time and energy by charging people um, with a win-win, and then you can be able to open up. I mean, your free stuff on YouTube, Amy, could serve millions of people without any extra additional time on your side, but that takes time and energy to do, right? that you wouldn't be able to do if you were just serving people for free all the time, one-to-one.
0: Yeah. And even writing a book, as you've done now multiple times, you know, that takes up a lot of mental and physical and emotional energy, no doubt. And yet it's such a low price point um, offering for people to be able to access you essentially. Um, Yeah. and And it's interesting because I've through the mentorship program that I've done with yoga teachers, and I'm sure this is going to be very relevant to anyone in the health and wellness community, but also good for people to know if they're investing in the health and wellness community. You know, I've spoken to teachers and said, there is a difference between doing free work to be of service, to gain skills, to volunteer for something, maybe a special event, you know, you know, versus being paid poorly for something. And I really urge um, teachers to always push for the industry standard and then obviously with experience comes you know negotiating more for yourself because you are more qualified more experienced you know in your field and there's a lot of uh I guess unseen hours of work for people in the health and wellness and I'm sure very much for you too Denise you know absolutely and I as an example, running a retreat, it's not just the days that you're there holding space for people. There's so much going on logistically before and even after that, that kind of doesn't get seen that you ultimately need to consider and factor into your pricing. And that's a conversation that each person has to have with themselves to get really clear on.
1: Yeah, you do. And also it's I think the big thing that's happening at the moment, right, is that there's still a lot of stories about people's ability to spend money. Um, and so we often do that. We assume that people can't or won't won't pay us. And actually, I feel like even more now, people who can afford to really want to, you know, like they really want to have business as usual at the moment. They want to pay their their community and their people that they um helping because they know that we need to circulate money right now that people are very fearful and um and so don't assume like and and this this is true in so many spaces but i saw this today on one of my um feeds a friend of mine her mom writes books and she said oh i really want to send books out to people at the moment she's got these books about grandparents right and she goes i really want to send them out to um grandparents at the moment to read to their grandchildren on skype She said. Do you think it's okay if I charge postage because otherwise I'm going to have to you know, pay for that? And first of all, I said, of course, but also don't assume that people don't want to buy a book right now because they're probably, I mean, it's probably under $20, right? And there are a lot of grandparents out there who would gladly pay that to an independent author to, to be able to read books to their kids. So sometimes we're looking at that, assuming that everybody in our community is struggling and they're not and they don't want to be given free things and actually i i prefer to pay for things and be given things for free because i know that i can afford it um and i'd rather you know i'd rather contribute in that way because then that that's great then she can give some free to people who can't but but most people would be happy to pay so why are we making stories up
0: about it i went and bought a book the other day myself and it's a new book published by a friend of mine who's a yoga student and she's published a lot of books but it's a children's book that I got you know for Atlas and um you know given the context of what's happening right now as we record this conversation around the world you know in our household we have definitely been impacted financially but again the positive side of my story of that we'll always have enough i made the decision to just go and buy that book because I know it'll be okay, you know, and I wanted to support her in her launch, which is happening in the thick of everything that's going on right now. And I, I guess I believe that what goes around comes around and it was such a pleasure to do it. And we had such a delightful afternoon, like reading the book time and time like and it. time again. So that investment just brought so much joy. Um. So yeah, what you, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Certainly.
1: But we can't um, judge what people value in their lives as well. You know, what might seem frivolous at, at one particular time might be really essential for someone else. And a really good example of that is candles, right? You know, you might think, Oh God, I'm selling candles. That's not a essential item right now. Well, for some people, it really is like, it's, it's something that um, brings them joy and comfort and they're willing to spend money on that as opposed to, to something else. And the cool thing is we're all so individual that each person is going to really value, something different at the moment and like we just um we just got a dog and so i'm in a a lot of puppy groups and there are so many people who want to you know who are willing to spend money on their pets right now <laughs> you know because we're, everyone's at home but like that's not an essential item but we can't judge what makes people feel good and what they
0: want to spend their own money on and hey having a candle if it's going to support you emotionally through something could be not only incredibly valuable, but I just thought in my head too, as you were saying that I was like, but hey, that you'll know what a great investment that is when your power goes out. You'd be like, yes, I'm so glad I have that candle. What a great investment. So I guess you just never really know the value of something in, until you're experiencing it anyway. I would love to know, Denise, if you could speak um, to a person in your life that you would say has been really a great mentor or teacher, whether directly or indirectly, um in your life maybe even right now and in the past well I mean it sounds so
1: cliched again but Oprah um has been such an inspiration for me for such a long time and for different reasons right so early on uh, it was as a teacher because I think in the in the 90s a lot of her shows were very issue-based and so I was I learned a lot about like red flags for domestic violence and um, about the AIDS crisis, like things that I wasn't learning about in school, it really felt like she was expanding my worldview of, um, of you know different people's challenges in the world. So that was really important. And then when she started to do the angel Network stuff, which was about um, philanthropy, she was encouraging people to send coins and fundraise for different projects that she was um, funding. Um so that the the philanthropy part was such a big influence for me too, and then when she did her school in South Africa and her um, Christmas stuff in South Africa. And then what I really loved too was um, when she started to do the behind the scenes shows about how the show was made and how the team worked together and seeing her as a boss was really inspiring too. And then what I noticed in the last probably three years is that she really shifted from work all the time into more joy because she sold, you know, she sold her show, and um, well, not sold her show. She ended her show, and um, she just shifted her work. And that's when I really saw her doing things like gardening, and like you could just see the joy on her face. Like her, her everything started really shifting and changing. I think when she stopped working on her show every day, she was traveling for pleasure. Like she really started talking more about pleasure, and um, and then what I've really noticed recently. She's really championing women of colour and projects of colour and just showing to me her integrity around um, like being a champion for what she really believes in and how she chooses to amplify things in her life with her influence. So, yeah, you know, from from just so many different angles, she's been a real inspiration to me and I have met her and um, I had a really interesting interaction with her because It was a group of about 50 people and we could ask her anything, but I was so intimidated to ask her a question. And so I thought, I will ask her, I will, I will, but just not right now. And so she came out and she goes, oh, and she pointed to me, she goes, are you wearing a Camilla caftan? And I went, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I said, oh, yeah, like, I had to buy something special because it's Oprah. Like, I couldn't just, like, wear Target. And she said, oh, excuse me, I shop at Target all the time. And I went, oh, of course you do. And then she said, why are you here? And I went, um, because I've been watching your show since I was a kid and I wanted to come and say thank you. And she said, oh, I raised you. And I was like, yes, because it's like, she's my mom, right? She's like my mom, my sister, my aunt, like all of those things wrapped up in one. And she said, but what did I teach you the most? And I said, you taught me to break the cycle. Like every single lesson, every single show is really about, you know, becoming that person that you want to be and breaking those cycles of of your family or your legacy or the situation that you've grown up in, all of those things. Um, Yeah, it was really cool, but a really funny, like aside to that story, I was really pregnant when I was there and when we got to go and have a photo with with her, she kind of looked at my stomach, but I remember reading stuff about how she would never comment on someone's pregnant belly because so many times the person wasn't pregnant and so she learnt that really painfully in in her show. So she kind of looked at my belly, I didn't say anything and then we took the photo and I said, thank you. And I was so excited to get the photo back. I was like, "Oh my god, I can't wait." So they finally sent it. And being pregnant, like your boobs are all over the place, and so like I had these really <laughs> prominent nipples in this in this photo. And I had to get I had to ask a friend who's a photographer to photoshop my nipples because I was like, "Oh my god, I can never share this picture with anyone because I just had these big prego nipples." And I was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> So yeah, that was that was really special and I really hope I'll be able to interact with her again in the future because um, yeah, she's just been such an influence to me and, and to so many people and one thing that I am often concerned about is I feel like for people who are kind of my age and older, she was such an influence and I'm like, who who is influencing the current generation? you know to I don't know if there is someone who is because I don't know if people growing up now like they're not watching Oprah after school like like a lot of people my age did so yeah that concerns me a little bit but
0: but she certainly paved the way for women to really hold their own in, in a sense and you know walk their path that they really want to walk right it was like she she's led led the you know, led the path essentially from the front line herself. Yeah, I think she has. And she seems like she's someone with such great integrity. And I remember kicking up my feet on the couch in the afternoons as well, growing up watching her too. And she, yeah, she just continues to evolve, which is really inspiring.
1: It is inspiring. But like, again, with the money stories, right, you know, I whenever I've read any books about her, because um, I've read quite a few autobiographies about her, it's, it's really funny, her money stuff, because she's always said, like, I've, I've had no problem earning money. I've had no problem asking for money. I've had no problem negotiating contracts. And you can tell from such a young age, like, she's owned her IP. And that's why she's so wealthy compared to other people who've been in media, because she owned her show. She owned her image. She owned everything. Um, but there is one common thread in that is that she's an over-giver. And we can all learn from that too of um, not wanting to try and rescue people in our, in our lives with money or feeling overly responsible for people. And that comes up again and again where she's tried to, you know, like buy houses for people or try to solve problems for her family th- with money. Um, and, yeah, it's, I think that's a really good lesson too, right, is that it's, it's okay to not try and rescue everybody.
0: Well, I guess that means if you're rescuing people, they're never learning the lessons. They're never breaking through, you know, their own resistances and money blocks and their stories and their conditioning. You're not giving them an opportunity to work through that. And yes, it must be so magnificent to be able to live a life and comfortably be that generous. But yeah, you're almost taking an opportunity away from people and can be to some degree a little bit of a disservice. So it kind of goes both ways, doesn't it?
1: Well, it does, but um, there's another lesson that she, I think, has taught me too is around boundaries. And I remember reading this about uh, when she used to run her show, like she would stop and she would shake hands with every single person and she would hug every single person and sign things. And if people wanted to come back into her office, she'd let them, right? She just had no boundaries at all. And she said this one lady one time, said, I've got something really important to talk to you about. Can we go back to your office? And this is after like filming you know, all day and being so exhausted and giving so much. And she got back into the office and the lady said, oh, I saw that you have given away houses. Can you buy me a house? Like just for no reason, just buy me a house. And after that, she just realized that she needed to set boundaries. And that's when she stopped, um, you know, stopping and shaking every, every single person's hand after her show, just being like, it's enough that I'm giving what I'm giving. And that's enough. And I think there's so many lessons that we can learn in, in so many industries, right? The person who um, is, a, is a health coach and instead of doing 45-minute sessions, you do three-hour sessions because you're trying to solve every problem of someone's life. Or I'm sure there's equivalent in like the yoga teaching world, right? Of just giving so much and overgiving that you are enabling people sometimes to stay in their stories or you're just burning yourself out, out of lack of boundaries.
0: And speaking of boundaries, just diverting here slightly, um, what does a life living in alignment look and feel like to you, given your situation? and yeah,
1: um, I just always have to keep on reminding myself that I can only offer what I can offer. and And that's living in alignment with me, right? It's like going what do, what feels good for me, what feels good and easy for me to offer? okay, well, why don't I build my business around (laughs) because I know then I'll have energy to show up and, and give and not feeling like I have to be everything to everyone, not feeling like I have to solve every problem of every person's life, which, um, is hard for me as someone who is of service, Virgo wants to be of service to people. Um, and so I always have to come back to that. How is this, how is this, um, being easy and enjoyable for me because then I know that I can shop and give. And, and you know, I still over deliver. I still um, feel like I should help people in other ways, but I just try and come back to that all the time.
0: Yeah. And you are a generous person. I, I loved seeing what you did recently. Your, there's a post on Facebook and given the times that we're in right now, again, as we're recording and you went and just like invested in a big bunch of businesses because, you know, you can and. Again, that's how you've circulated money and energy and intention with supporting people. And that's that must be a pretty awesome feeling, it I is, imagine.
1: It is. Have, it, like having money to give feels amazing. But I remember when I was living in London and I was super broke um, whenever I wanted to feel abundant, I would, um, give money in some way. And like, it would be like 20 P right. Like 20 pence, 50 pence, because I didn't have a lot, but I would do it to feel rich and I would remind myself that it's the same me giving 20 P right now is going to be the same as me giving 5,000 in the future. And it will feel just as good. And if it, if it feels hard now, it's going to feel hard later, even with money. And, and, you know, I was feeling really good. I was like, oh, yeah, cool. Giving that, you know, I think it was about $6,000 that I invested in my community in different courses. And then I saw Sarah Blakely, she's doing um, like $5 million or something. And I was like, oh, it's the same as someone giving 5P when they don't have any money or giving $50 or $500 or 5000 And so it's not about judging where you are. It's about um, being able to to give to fill generous and wealthy because that's changing our insights to, to who we are like the, seeing ourselves as being someone who has enough to give and who is generous and wealthy and I remember writing very like from a really as soon as I found out about the word philanthropist from Oprah I would write that in my journal I'm a wealthy philanthropist <laughs> um, but it starts with where you are right now and not judging where you are right now
0: yeah, I guess you, you. a lot of people would think, well, I'm not there yet because I need to be here to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, and it's separating yourself again from that, like, oh, when I'm wealthy, when I'm wealthy, it's like, well, no, you, you're wealthy right now to someone, right? You're wealthy and you have enough to give. Um, and so, yeah, just even if it's a compliment that you can give to someone else right now, because you literally don't have any money but like uh, giving oops <laughs> friends keep on falling out um you know if you can uh give a penny right now like I want you to feel that feeling of, of being wealthy and generous and seeding something and circulating abundance and not judging yourself for how small or big you think that is compared to other people because you know like that's that could be the same for you as Sarah Blakely giving away five million dollars
0: comparing Sarah to you to me if, you know literally if you looked at things the figures the numbers were probably quite different but if you compare all of us and everybody that's listening to this podcast we are in that very small percentage of the world that is considered wealthy or rich or you know at least better off you know and so I guess shifting our mentality around that can be an interesting perspective. Again, going to the glass half full versus glass half empty, you know, we can see things at all times from both sides, which can be a blessing and a curse, I suppose, all at once, depending on how you view things.
1: Absolutely. And it's not to say that when you are scared about money, that that's not real, right? Because there's some really real things happening in the world right now. But what can we control? And we can control our thoughts and feelings about money. Um, We can control how we speak about money. All the time, but especially in times like now, we can control how we speak to our children about money um, as well. And, you know, and we can practice gratitude wherever we
0: are. That's free. Gratitude is free. Yeah. And some things that you have talked about over the years have really stuck with me. And one of which, like, I literally thought of you yesterday because I opened our mailbox and we got our water rates in the mail. And, any Anytime I get a bill, I always think of you because I think, right, Denise always says, open the envelope straight away, pay the bill straight away and think about what that bill is reflective of. So for us, it's like, okay, we have our own house. We have a roof over our head. This is amazing. We are getting water rates because we are fortunate enough to be, you know, homeowners and, and like see, again, glass half we full. We have clean water in our country, you know, like. Yeah, we can drink. We can. Yes, we can drink out of our taps. We can, yeah, exactly. We can shower, we can bathe, we can flush a toilet. So at that baseline level, I think that's been incredibly empowering to, just to observe and monitor. Cause you know, I I still have moments where I'm like, oh, good timing, you know, everything's coming in. And, And even this month I'm due everything for my car. And yet I have a car, we have two cars that are very well functioning. And so really seeing things different, seeing bills differently and, you know, even practices that you've shared over the years with like cleaning out your wallet, cleaning out your bag and making space for money to come in. I think these are really simple and often overlooked practices um, that are very, yeah, empowering and, and helpful. And you know what, like I still
1: have those moments sometimes with bills because I mean, my, some of my bills are freaking huge, you know, like um, my tax bill, for example. And so sometimes I hear people say, I want to be rich. So I never have to think about money. And that's not the case. Like, I still have to think about money. I still have to pay bills. I still have to be organized with money. I have to have conversations with my accountants and things like that. So just be mindful about what you're asking the universe for. You know, if you're asking for never having to think or worry about money again, well, cool. Like, maybe, like, you could be in jail and not have to worry about money, <laughs> you know? So it's like, what are you really asking for? And most people are really asking for peace of mind. There's enough money, you um, in their bank account that they can be do and have all the things that they want. And, and that's, you know, that's a real key, but here's another fun one too. When I fill up my car with, um, with petrol, I look at the numbers going up and I imagine that's my bank account and that's really fun. Ooh. Yeah. It's really fun. I'm like, Oh, there's so much money I make per second or per hour. And then the other day I was like, Oh, I'm just going to imagine that that's instead of dollars, that that's thousands of dollars just to stretch my mindset of what's possible. Um, And it's, yeah, things like that are really fun when you do them because even if it just, even if it uncovers a negative thought that you didn't realise you had about money, that's valuable
0: too. Something funny um, you mentioned uh, in one of your books is how, you know, you've always been grateful over the years, even if you pick up like a coin on the street and you're like, great, thank you, you know. Um, But I kind of had a bit of a chuckle because I thought, If I was to find money on the street right now, I would feel even more blessed and rich and lucky because so many people don't carry cash anymore. And I think, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like for our kids growing up, because that joy of finding a coin on the street will be even more cherished and more rare or a $5 bill or even finding cash stuffed in, you know, your pockets of your jeans or something that you haven't worn for 12 months, which is awesome and always delightful, will become even more and more, um seemingly lucky and a blessing because it's a lot less common to carry that's cash a really good point. these days
1: yeah. for most people yeah it's a really good point point. and for those of you who do have kids too there are a couple of things that you can do to help them like a few just little language changes so one don't say don't put money in your mouth money is dirty because that's such a like common story for most of us right that's the first interaction we've had with money we say in our family we go hey don't put money in your mouth we take care of money in our family. Like just a little simple thing like that because it's for them as much as it is for you of realizing like, Oh wow, I've got this underlying story that money's dirty because I heard it so many times. So that's one thing. Another thing that I do is I don't say to our kids ever, I don't have money. I say, Oh, I don't have any coins on me because see how it just feels like it's a different thing. Like, that whole thing of i don't have any money can re- when you're saying it out loud even if you mean i don't have any coins on me i think it triggers a lot of us really internal scarcity around um, like just not having anything it's like a real poverty trigger i think for so many of us so if you just change it to like, oh i don't have any notes on me today i don't have any coins on me today in a really calm voice too it's again it's much of it it's for you as much as it is for them It's to calm our nervous system down and to be like, make money at least a neutral thing, not a negative thing.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Terminology and languages, everything, even, uh, you know, I'm sure this is going to be very much the same for a lot of people listening. Words like abundance feels good and success might feel good, but literally like the word rich might be like, or there's certain words that you can feel a discomfort around. And it's really, I think, fascinating to sit with that because they might all mean the same thing or it's just because you've put a story to that word, which is obviously going to be anchored in whatever your blocks are around that money coming in. And then obviously, like you say, we are kind of subconsciously teaching that to the next generation
1: yeah we really are and even um I remember when I was dating Mark the way he said money triggered the shit out of me because it was so he'd say it almost apologetically so he'd always like have this micro pause before he said money um because for him like he he comes from like his mom is really like money conscious about everything like counting every penny and she's really good with her money but so he learned that from her. And so you would go money. And like, I'd go, Oh, yeah. so we had to have a conversation around that of like, Hey, the way you say money, like, let's talk about your money mindset. And what are your stories about money? Because obviously if you're in a relationship, the your partner's money mindset can impact yours hugely.
0: Mm. I've noticed that too. Even when, you know, in our household, we, combined bank accounts and combined finances that definitely change the dynamics and the energy around our household overall income versus, you know, when things were separated. And I do definitely feel uh, influenced by my husband's seemingly kind of subconscious tone, if you will, around money. And we definitely grew up with different um I don't want to say money stories, but just we, we were raised differently and educated differently around money, whether directly or indirectly. So, yeah, coming Absolutely. into that, and that partnership with someone else is a very interesting thing, I guess, which is why it's so important to really do the work that, you know, you're encouraging people to be doing in the world on an individual level. So that as you come into partnership or and or have children and so forth, um, you're bringing kind of the best version oh yeah oh, so cliche but best version of yourself to the table
1: absolutely there's uh, there's another one around food and money if we've got time so mm. um so we moved around a lot as a kid and like i didn't mind it but like we moved kind of every couple of months and so my mom's really good at packing right she's so good at packing she could pack up a house in like a couple of hours and so there was a real sense of like impermanence i think sometimes and not um Like, I think that's why sometimes I'm really good at minimalism because I'm just like, I don't care. I'm like, "Mm, okay. Um, But around food. So when someone's been in a house for a long time, they build up, they just build up stuff, right? Like old spices and just things that have been there for a long time. So our cupboards were more bare because like, we just didn't have time to build that up. And so I'll look at a cupboard and go wow there's so much stuff in there like there's so many different meals and combinations mark is the opposite he he lived in like two houses his whole life and so his mom had like a storage freezer like one of those big chest freezers and cupboards and cupboards full of stuff and so we can look at the exact same cupboard and mark can look at them and go there's no food in there and i can feel like i can hear in his voice that he's panicked about not having enough and i can look at the same cupboard and think there's so much in there. How are we going to like pack that up? You know, it feels like a burden to me and it feels like scarcity for him. And that stuff is really fascinating to look at because you will trigger each other's scarcity blocks. Um, and and some, if you don't have the language to talk about that, um, sometimes as couples, you can make really weird decisions around things and not know why.
0: Yet we will put so much emphasis on our self-development and who we are as individuals and as couples in so many other, other areas of life and relationship. And yet seemingly less so when it comes to talking about money or, you know, related Things You know, as you said, like that sense of abundance or scarcity and what we have or what we don't have, you know, and living in a space with someone else, obviously, is going to highlight those major differences with respect to stuff. Yeah, it really does. (laughs) Whether that's food or furniture or clothes and, you know, and so forth. Um, So on a personal level, um, I would just love to ask you a couple of little random questions before we wrap up. Uh, I love I would love to know what is your favorite sound?
1: Oh, I love the ocean. But um, at my rose farm, we have these poplars and they're really, really tall and the wind rustles through them and it kind of sounds like the ocean, but it's, it's... and the other day I was out there, I was like, that's the sound of money. I don't know know why I don't know why, but because like money, what does it sound like? And the only thing I can ever think of is when you're in a movie where like money flies up (laughs) or something. I don't know, like from a yeah, but I was just there going, wow, that's the sound
0: of money. Um so yeah. Hmm. That's so interesting. Yeah. Very cool. And what is your favorite place?
1: Uh at the moment it is my rose farm because it's so beautiful and natural out there and makes me really happy and there's also a lot of projects to do out there too so I can go out there and dream and and go oh that's what that's going to look like and that's what that's going to look like and I love having people come and share that um, as well
0: nice and what's your absolute go-to meal favorite food
1: oh that's a tricky one I think um I'm not that bothered about food all the time. So I think my favorite food is always something that someone else makes for me. <laughs> but if I had to pick something, that's always a win. Yeah. If I had to pick something and I haven't been able to recreate it, it's my nan's pea and ham soup that she used to make when we were kids. Um, she always used to just make such beautiful comfort food, like spaghetti bolognese and pea and ham soup and um, stews and stuff like that. So it'd be something like, you know, that my nan would make. But if she was still
0: here. Mm, that's so nice, reflecting yeah. on the foods you ate from your grandparents. There's something just so hearty and loving about it. Maybe because it's, we're so disconnected these days from just the value of home cooking, you know, whereas that would have been just the norm for them.
1: Absolutely. And I think if you've got grandparents who are who are alive, ask them, to write down their recipe because I so regret that. Like as a kid, you just take it for granted that it's always going to be there. And, you know, Nan's going to make soup every Christmas and it's just going to happen. And like, you know, we don't know. We don't. No one knows the future. So get that captured.
0: Yes, that's such a good idea. I remember my grand's pikelets. I used to go over there all and we'd always have a mountain of pikelets with this massive lashing of butter. And yeah, I've, I've tried to recreate pikelets and they're just not the same. I just can't do it so that's a very 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 good point uh and what are you curious about right now personal professional doesn't matter
1: I'm curious about where the world is heading because no one could foresee the you know the things that were going to happen in 2020 um and so I'm I'm curious about how it's going to change us and I really hope it is for the better I hope it's going to lead to some real good things um and I'm curious about the like this the future of politics, you know, like with um hopefully with more women going into into politics. I'm curious how that will change
0: how it will change the world. I think the planet is loving what's happening right now, just like this massive exhalation or something, you know, with the major improvement of pollution. And I know it's, you know, we can't have planes down and cars down and everybody inactive, so to speak forever, but um, I definitely think there's a great sigh of relief, um, you know, from the planet and our environment, which is a, you know, a silver lining, if you will, of what's happening at the very least at the moment. And, and yeah, politically, I hope this shakes things up for the better. You know, we look to New Zealand and I, I really think what's going on there at the moment is really inspiring.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, um, I watch New Zealand really closely because my friend James Shaw is the climate change minister there. And we worked together in London about a decade ago. And, you know, like back then, he's, he set a really strong goal to going, go home to New Zealand and be in politics. And it's like he wouldn't have been able to foresee how his skills at the time, like, you know, would really be needed in 2020, you know. So I think more people like that too, you know, and he's obviously a man, but he's very, he's got a real feminine um, leadership style in lots of ways, the collaboration and I I'm really curious to see how that's gonna change things. And you know, and there'll be women who are shit at it too, right? But like I'm curious (laughs) that's okay. Like we can make mistakes too um in leadership and politics and things. But I am curious to see how it's gonna shift and change the world and I really hope it does. Like I feel like we're almost there in so many ways. Like I'm wearing my Elizabeth Warren shirt today, right? And it was like, oh she was so close to getting so close to having a a nominee for the american presidency and ah yeah
0: i would love to know what have you got coming up in the pipeline or if you want to just take a moment to share what it is that you do if people listening are not you know familiar exactly with your work and so forth yeah well i'm really grateful that i've written books in this time because you know I, i
1: feel like books <laughs> books are really important at the moment right so all of you, those of you who have got books like sitting on your computer ready to go get them out into the world because in times where you feel maybe feel bad about um promoting maybe your higher end work it's perfect to have something that you can promote in times like this so um my books are on amazon so i've got i've got three books for sale at the moment lucky bitch which is about um learning to be an amazing manifester uh, get rich lucky bitch is my money book about really looking at some of your money stories and looking at your money blocks and giving you some tools around that some of the things we spoke about today and then my latest book is called chillpreneur and that's about creating a business that's in, in alignment with your personality and um, that is the path of least resistance for you to make money and have a business that you love um and then i'm really easy to find on the internet so my website is denisedt.com come over to that but actually, I really love when people connect with me on Instagram. So all my social handles are at, at Denise DT as well. And I love when people tell me an aha that they got from the talk um, or an action that they're taking differently from hearing, you know, us talk today and and just, to, you know, just to connect, you know, if you want to show me your favorite passage in one of my books or just tell me what's going on with you, I'd love to, I'd love to connect.
0: Yeah, awesome. And are you, are you continuing to roll out? your money bootcamp as well?
1: Yes. Yep. So my money bootcamp is a community and a course to take people from what they learn in the book and take that to the next level and give you a supportive community too. So we've had about 6,000 students go through that, that um, course in the last eight years and it's open all year round. So if that's something that people know that they want to work on, um, you can jump into that straight away. And that's all at my website, denisedt.com as well.
0: Well, I'm so thrilled to have you. Thank so nice you, to chat my with you friend. today, it's lovely. and always. Yes, yeah. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, everybody. If this episode was of value to you and your life, please subscribe. And if you can think of someone who would benefit from this dialogue, please do them a favor and send it their way. If you feel called hop on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. This is the best way to get these conversations into the ears and hearts of our wider community, to those who need it most. You can find me at amielandry.com or over on Instagram at amielandry. May we all move a little closer to a life living in alignment.